And it seemed to me, especially being at Tinder, you know, a lot of my peers worked at big tech companies and it just seemed like something was broken with the internet. And a lot of it came down to the business models with advertising being the primary business model of Web2. Hey everybody, Tanner here with Wagme Ventures. On today's episode, we have Jeff Morris Jr., founder and managing partner at Chapter One. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagme Ventures podcast, where we do snapshots with interesting builders, founders, and investors from across Web3. Check out wagmeventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get into it with Jeff at Chapter One. All right. Hey, everybody. This is the Wagme Ventures podcast. I'm here today with Jeff Morris Jr., founder and managing partner at Chapter One. Jeff, how are you doing today? What's up? Great. Yeah, really excited to be here. Just landed back in Los Angeles where I live. I was in the barrier for the week, so excited to be home on a Friday and excited to be chatting with you. Awesome, man. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat. I know we have a ton of great stuff to talk about. So let's just jump right in. You're obviously super well-known as an investor and as a past product leader at Tinder, but I think I'm especially curious as I was learning a little bit about you. I'm curious how your Web3 journey came about too. So like, you know, maybe a little bit about the story about how that Web3 focus may be clarified or sharpened over time. Yeah, absolutely. The original um, moment was that I bought Bitcoin in 2012, I believe. It wasn't a huge amount of Bitcoin, but I did it as a joke in our office and we we're all laughing about it and talking about how crazy it was that we were buying digital tokens at the time it was it was much cheaper than it, than it. I think it was $190 at the time. The My career as a product leader took me to Tinder and I ran revenue at Tinder for about four and a half years. At the at that time, we became the top grossing app in the world. And so on the Play Store and App Store, mainly through subscriptions. But what we were really doing was we were selling digital products. So it sounds, again, pretty silly to say we were selling things like super likes and boosts. And these were digital goods that people were paying a lot of money for. So I kind of had this built-in intuition that the way people interact with with objects online and the value they place on those objects is very similar to the real world. And so it wasn't this huge leap of faith for me to believe in the value of digital assets. And then around the same time, CryptoKitties came out. And again, it was a moment where everybody in the Tinder office was was kind of joking about it. But I stopped and said, there's really something here. And those were kind of the precursor to NFTs. And at the time, I ended up investing in Dapper Labs, their seed round, and it really got deep, deeper and deeper in the space because I think you probably know when you have that first moment of like the aha moment of of understanding what, what digital assets are and, and also just meeting really smart people in the space, you want to learn more and go deeper and deeper. So I ended up dedicating... About half that I had a scout fund at Index Ventures. Half the fund went to to crypto, and at the time I invested in projects like the Graph and Compound Finance and and a few others. And so, I, I leaving leaving Tinder really wanted to to become an investor. So I started a venture fund, and one of our primary thesis areas is is crypto, and has remained so for many years. We've done things outside of crypto too but you know i think in in the past five years we've we we've we've tried to just stay really focused through different market cycles and continue to find really great founders in the space love it okay super interesting so i'd love to talk about chapter one and and maybe transition there so 
I'm curious because it seems across the board, it, it seems very important to you guys as a firm to contribute to building sort of this new internet that Web3 represents, right? And so I think my question would be, you know, what did this idea of building the new internet mean maybe a few years ago to you? And what does that same idea look like? Or, or is it different? Has it changed? What does it mean to you now? Yes. Yeah, so I've always been just really excited about open source communities, building things in a more transparent way online and creating more trusted systems and, and social networks. And it seemed to me, especially being at, at Tinder, you know, a lot of my peers worked at big tech companies and it just seemed like something was broken with the internet. And a lot of it came down to, to business models with advertising being the primary business model of web two. And, um, you know, a lot of those platforms rely on, on just collecting as much user data as possible and using that data to monetize their users who really don't have any ownership in, in the networks they contribute to every day. And so I'm also a big Twitter user myself and, you know, have seen at different points in time, the platform kind of become at risk in different ways and, and thinking to myself, if, if Twitter went away, I would have, I would basically lose all my distribution. And so to me, the, the new internet represents obviously the, the user on the internet. So ownership being a key part of, of that, but just aligning incentives with end users in a more, in a, in a more flexible way and, 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 and allowing them to, to own pieces of the network they contribute to. And when I say flexible, you know, being able to, to take your social graph wherever you want is to me a really interesting premise. And then lastly, I think, I think probably most important in 2023 is knowing what to trust online is, is extremely difficult. And so. I think probably the biggest war we will face as as a culture and a world is just the information wars that we see online every day. And so it's my hope that we can use the new internet and tools that blockchains provide, but there's there's things outside of crypto as well that are interesting just to create a more trusted internet because I think we've seen the the, you know, the power of misinformation and how that can result in, in a lot of negative things for the world. It's my hope that we can use use Web3 and other other new technologies to create a more trusted internet. Very cool. Okay. Super interesting. So you guys have on your website, this notion of moving from venture capital to venture contribution. And I'm curious, you know, especially given your background as a leader at chapter one, right? I'm, I'm curious what kind of activities go into helping founders build products specifically as they kind of seek and find product market fit. You know, what are some of those things that might be distinct at chapter one that founders might not get to experience with others on their cap table? Yeah, I think we really, in speaking to founders across all verticals, but especially in crypto, find that having seen scale and built products for literally billions of users, we have our team comes from Twitter, Tinder, Scale AI. We've had folks from Instagram, Facebook, that those experiences are valuable within the space. And so I think early on in 2021, it seemed like we were actually kind of misfits within the ecosystem because a lot of people didn't view us as being crypto native enough. And we we kind of took that as a compliment because we we thought to ourselves, you know, there's probably a lot of value that we can offer the space. And, you know, we're not going to to always be the most like we're not going to out degen some other <laughs> crypto funds, but we are going to bring a really valuable valuable perspective, which is, you know, trying to build products is very hard and trying to find product market fit is incredibly hard. And 
maybe there are ways that we can help accelerate that. And so some of the more practical things we, we do is we help a lot with defining metrics early on and actually building dashboards for teams. So we have a data scientist on our team who has built retool dashboards for literally some of the biggest projects and protocols in, in the ecosystem. And what we found is a lot of founders, especially within Web3 and crypto, haven't had a ton of time to, to just like sit and think about what metrics matter most to our business and to track them on a on on a ongoing basis. It it sounds very simple, but it's just the space has been so crazy and fast moving that yeah, you know, things like like knowing how to prioritize a roadmap and 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 KPIs and OKRs that you have to agree upon to to go try and hit. We found a lot of teams just don't know how to do that very well. So we spend a lot of time with with teams on product design, go to market. And then we work with, we typically co-lead the route. So we work with a lot of really great, great funds on, on some of the other things. So we're not claiming to be regular, regulatory experts. There are other funds who are probably better at things like tokenomics, but we really think that what, what we bring to the table is, is, is particularly interesting, especially right now as we're moving more towards this application layer meta, which, which we're really excited about too. Yeah. Super interesting. It is, it is just such a crucial element to be able to bring to the table especially right now, right? Hey everybody, quick thing here. We're excited to announce Wagme Advisory, your home for all things fundraising, hiring, and partnerships. This is all about supercharging your project with the Wagme Network consisting of over 20,000 executives, investors, and builders in crypto, all ready to come alongside your project to help it succeed. Get in touch at team at wagmeventures.io to learn more and figure out if Wagme Advisory is the right fit for your project. Now, let's get back to the show. So, you know, one question I have that's a bit of a recurring question on this podcast, but I'm always curious about kind of earliest challenges associated with whatever endeavor the guest is is kind of undertaken. So, you know, as you transition from, for example, from scout investing to solo GP to kind of building a team at chapter one, I'm curious, maybe one or two early challenges associated with that. And then, you know, how did you and your team think about solving for those challenges? Yeah, we really just think about building we we view chapter one as being a software company and an early stage startup and our you know one of the the main goals of our startup is to be the first call for founders when they're building a new company and so there's a lot of ways that you can you know build a reputation and a brand to to become that first call but it just takes a lot of time so we're always thinking about how do we stay relevant to new generations of founders who have just an abundance of capital choices and and you know when you're you know when you're kind of defining that product for founders how do you compete with the top funds and so we've just spent a lot of time iterating on that and you know early on i think when you're just getting started as a venture fund you don't have you don't have to beat other funds like you don't have to co-lead or lead deals but when you when your fund size gets a little bit bigger Suddenly, you're having to to go head to head against a lot of really talented people at other venture funds who have great products too. So you're always trying to just iterate on what you're doing and make sure that that founders respond well to to kind of what you're offering them when you're trying to pitch them on why they want to partner with with your team. And so we take that really seriously. And in, in the spirit of being a a software company that deploys capital, we do things like every quarter we we check our MPS score with founders, every founder in, in our portfolio to see how they rank us. We send our founders every single month 
an investor update that tells them everything we did for them that month. And then we track it all through data tools that we've built internally, which which they find to be really interesting because most of the time investors are asking founders to send them updates. And we we really believe that when you partner with a team, you're becoming a part a part of their team and not not doing so in an overbearing way, but just saying, hey, we want to have accountability for being a good partner. And if we're not doing a good job, tell us how we can do better so we can build a better product for you. And we think over time, reputation is all you have in our industry. And if you do a good job for the funders you work with, that will compound in many years. So hopefully when we're around in 10, 15 years, we'll we'll continue to be that first call just because we we feel like we've done a good job for the founders we work with. Super, super interesting. Okay. I love that notion of kind of a two-way street of accountability in some ways of being able to say, you know, here's kind of what we've been up to on your behalf. I think that's that strikes me as really unique and I'm sure founders really appreciate it. So I want to circle back to talk a little bit more about what you guys are thinking about right now, but I'd love to maybe t- take a step back and talk about the Web3 space more broadly for a moment too. So especially right now, right? Like I'm, I'm curious, this moment we're in right now as prices are kind of pumping and people are talking about sort of the potential end of this bear market. How would you narrate this current moment that we're in? Yeah, I think there's just a general feeling that we hit the bottom and kind of all the bad actors have been swapped out of the space paired with more regulatory clarity. And then obviously the institutional interest in Bitcoin and ETFs. And then we've seen a you know a handful of really interesting applications and experiments that have that have managed to catch some interest. And so I think there's just a, a general feeling that we've hit bottom. What's different from this moment as to kind of other bull markets that I remember is there was always kind of a new breakthrough product or innovation, whether it was DeFi or NFTs, that really kind of marked the start of the bull market. And you know, during those moments, it's not always so obvious what that what that will be or what that catalyst might might look like. And so I think right now we're all, at least on the venture side, trying to identify what catalyst there might be. And maybe maybe like the catalyst is just, hey, we trust that crypto is not going to zero because if it were to go to zero, that might have already happened. But I think the obviously the Bitcoin narrative is is really interesting. And my hope and, and I'm sure you feel the same way is that we can in this in this moment in this next bull market really build products that are sustainable and have end user interest that you know goes beyond f- speculation and kind of price action because it you know that's I think it's just very important to prove that there is long term utility for the products that we're building outside of Bitcoin and stable coins and 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 that like end users really do want to interact with these products on a, a daily basis but I I think we're I think we're going to find that and. I've been really encouraged by a lot of the recent experiments, whether it's Helium Mobile or a lot of the, the things happening in Deepin. And obviously, you know, there's been really interesting things happening in RWAs and other categories that are, are just very interesting. And I feel like we're going to find some breakthrough application soon. And, and, and you know, I think probably we'll look back on the cycle and, and maybe it might be the the application layer cycle where we finally found applications that really pass the bar for what might compete with a, a web two product. Yeah, I love that. I, I definitely share your aspiration to see kind of more applications that 
go beyond specula- speculation, right? I think it's it's really interesting to get a window into kind of the different types of things people are building that are exploring these questions in new ways. So, you know, one question I had as to you as someone that has kind of this this audience and this distribution you've mentioned, especially on Twitter, but elsewhere, right? I'm curious about this idea of a platform, right? And and I think you, I read in a blog post you'd written, I think it was on your Substack. the piece was Bare Necessities. You've kind of mentioned this FOMO and temptation of bull markets that I think anyone that's been in the space for a while kind of can easily recognize. And so I, th- I think I'm curious what guidance you might offer to those who are maybe a little bit newer to crypto about how to keep your head on straight and kind of think well about the different market cycle. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always just taken a very long-term view of the space. And so the thing I would, I would encourage, it's funny, like one example is I have two friends who, who two years ago, I convinced them to buy Solana at, you know, it's like somewhere in the 100s. And they got really anxious a year ago and they sold everything around 15. And so, and they were texting me every day, kind of asking me why I gave them such bad investment <laughs> advice. And, and those same friends are now texting me this week and, you know, they're like every day, like Solana's at 66 or Solana's at 68. Like they're tracking the price. And I think there's this gambling aspect of crypto, which people try and win and you'll just get wrecked most of the time. And so I think, you know, as a newcomer, I always just encourage people to be, to approach things with a very level-headed long-term mindset and to primarily invest in, in known projects. And we all know what those are. And not get carried away. So that's really my best advice is to to think of this as being investing in technology companies and software. And as you'd approach hopefully the public markets, like the you know whether you're investing in Nvidia or Apple or Google or whatever it might be, like really do your research and invest in things that you understand and believe in. And that's that's pretty much the best advice. I can, I can give. Yeah, super interesting. Okay. So if you were to kind of put on your, your prediction hat here, and this is a, another kind of recurring question on this podcast, where if I, if I ask the future of crypto is blank, maybe five years, 10 years, 20 years, how would you fill in that blank? It's a great question. I think that for me, the future of crypto is just another layer of the internet that offers new financial opportunities and a new design space for builders and investors to participate in more open markets and more open ecosystems. And so the, again, I think back to the open source comment earlier, like I really do view blockchains as being a more transparent and trusted way to, to build many different products. I said another layer of the internet, because I also don't believe that web three is going to replace Web two entirely. I've never thought that because it, you know, there's a lot of really great Web two products that have distribution and moats that are almost impossible to to replace. And so I've always just believed that Web three is is a really interesting new architecture and way of building software that should be interesting to to many different engineers who who want to explore new use cases. And again, a lot of it's around ownership, incentive alignment and distribution and creating new economic opportunities that I think are, are really interesting. But I would, I would, I would view web three as being a new, a new layer of the internet that, that should be 
really interesting to, to engineers and, and, and users and continue to, to believe in the space, but not, you know, I think probably what's different for me and, and maybe other guests that you've had is I, I don't think we need to view it as being zero sum with the rest of the internet and would, would encourage other folks to have an open-minded idea towards that too. Definitely. Definitely. Super interesting. Okay. So you've kind of shared some thoughts on, you know, some advice for being in crypto in general, right? I think I'm curious for, for crypto founders specifically, you know, from the other side of the table as an investor, what advice might you have for crypto founders that would be valuable, especially for maybe kind of earlier in their journey, right? Curious what maybe, maybe even things that you wish you knew early on about being in crypto kind of besides sort of the price action or whatever, but just like, you know, what it, what it means to be a founder in this particular space. I'm curious what maybe your most generalizable advice there would be. Yeah. The biggest advice that I've seen is just, you need to prepare for many different markets within the life cycle of your company and have the vision from both an operational and technical perspective, but also a a psychological perspective to get through those moments. And so, yeah, it's pretty well known that most public companies, software companies take 10 to 15 years to go public. The difference within Web3 or crypto when you have a token is you go public much sooner, which creates another set of complications where you're almost a like day-to-day, you're, you're operating as a startup, but the public views you as being a tradable asset and almost a public company in that in that way, which is really hard on some founders. And then I think for founders who don't have, who are more, you know, like call it web three SaaS, so equity projects, they have to hit similar benchmarks from a revenue perspective that you would see from, from traditional SaaS companies. And so you, and there's very violent market cycles where, you know, you might, you might build the best product within your vertical, but for two, two years, the space might just be cold from a narrative perspective within the venture community. And so I think that's very challenging. I'm, I'm seeing right now today, a lot of teams in our portfolio and beyond who are fundraising and started to do so pretty quickly because I think they know, they've, they've seen that you need to be very opportunistic around capitalizing your company and making sure that you have runway. And the best way to do that's when things look a bit more optimistic. And so, you know, today is much different than six months ago, where I feel like there's a tremendous amount of optimism within within the crypto community. And and so for founders who are early, I'd really um, encourage you to be open-minded about taking on more capital at the during those moments. And I've also seen some founders who I think over-optimize on fundraising and have lost out because maybe the like like small differences in valuation and they end up being in, in really tough spots. So a lot of this comes down to, I think, the like capitalizing your company and making sure that you have a long enough time horizon to, to go build your products because the timeline also on, on Crypto Web 3 continues to to be pushed out. And that's okay because you know I think the best investors have a longer term view, but we we don't truly know when all this is going to be become like quote unquote mainstream. And so I would just encourage founders to to really, you know, capitalize their companies and be prepared for for a long build time. And and if you can get through these tough cycles, you you will be stronger. And we've seen a lot of our founders who have persevered are, are in great positions and 
some people just couldn't get through the bear market for, from a personal level or a financial level. And that's okay too. But those, those founders kind of get washed out, unfortunately. So yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Okay. So Jeff, maybe one last question here for you. What is your team working on right now? And what's the best way for people to follow along on the chapter one journey? Yeah. Our team is trying to identify another six to eight new investments over the next year, really. And so we're excited to meet founders who are building in the space. My Twitter handles at JMJ, which is probably the easiest way to to stay in touch and would love to meet new folks who are building. So hopefully hopefully the optimism continues and, and we get through the, the bear market and we're, you know, next time I come on the podcast, we're talking about all the products that have end user adoption because I think we're <laughs> we're I think we're gonna get there. We and we're we're making progress. Love it. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Fascinating insights and really, really great stuff. So really appreciate your time and hope your upcoming weekend is a good one. Thanks, Jenna. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and maybe give us a good five-star rating and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts so you can get all the latest conversations with the most interesting crypto founders, investors, and builders from across the world. Thanks so much. Have a good one.